Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello, and welcome to Compliance Clarified, a podcast for risk and compliance professionals brought to you by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Each week, we discuss news stories and topical issues from our journalists and analysts in the US, Europe, Asia, and Australia. I'm Rachel Wolcott, Senior Editor, coming to you today from London, and I'm speaking to Brett Wolf, Senior Anti-Money Laundering Editor for the Americas. Welcome, Brett. Hi, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Nice to see you. By the time Episode 8 of Season 9 airs, it will be a little over a month since Hamas fighters launched a brutal attack on Israel, unleashing a war and leaving thousands of civilians dead. The attack took Israel and the world by surprise and raised questions about whether enough attention is being paid to terrorist financing in the Middle East and beyond. It's an understatement to say the tragedy has focused minds. Today, Brett and I, well, mostly Brett, are going to talk through actions various U.S. agencies have taken in response to Hamas's attack to address and describe their financing activities to financial institutions and others who unwittingly or willingly are enabling funds to flow to Hamas. Brett, let's start off setting the scene and talk about how Hamas funds itself traditionally. I mean, it's an incredibly well-financed terrorist group. Yes, um, absolutely. I think when uh, many experts think of Hamas and its funding, They think of support that's received from Iran, uh, which has been uh, supporting Hamas since the late 1980s. Um, You know, some of the numbers are perhaps out of date, but many experts believe uh, Iran is providing somewhere in the ballpark of $100 million a year to Hamas. Additionally, since Hamas took control of Gaza in the, the mid to late 2000s, They've been able to raise a lot of revenue via taxation, which is probably their by far their largest funding source, or at least it was uh, prior to its uh, terror attack and Israel's response. Israel has said it's going to eliminate Hamas, and um, it's difficult at this point to see that Hamas will still be in any kind of control of Gaza when Israel finishes its operations. Um, And Benjamin Netanyahu has said that uh, Gaza security will be in Israel's hands following its operations. So things are going to change there. But there's no doubt that Hamas already has quite a bit of wealth around the world, what the US government calls this secret investment portfolio. This isn't a new issue. In 2019 and again in 2022, Uh, Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, or OFAC, targeted financial facilitators as well as individuals tied to Hamas's so-called investment office, uh, which OFAC at that time uh, estimated to be worth more than $500 million, including companies operating in Sudan, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Algeria, uh, and United Arab Emirates. So yeah, it, it has had a sizable holdings for some time. And I don't think that U.S. sanctions or uh, sanctions from other 
jurisdictions have have really gotten any kind of a, a handle on those uh, assets. So for the short term, at the very least, Hamas is going to be flush with cash. Yeah. And what are some of these assets in the secret investment portfolio? I mean, presumably it's secret, so we don't really know, but I guess people have been talking about real estate and some illiquid assets like that. So you, they are not going to be able to just sell off things in the portfolio and raise cash easily. One wouldn't think so, um, but I, I would imagine uh, they probably do have a number of liquid assets as well. But yes, real estate is definitely one that has been discussed. You know, it would seem that they have some fairly savvy people uh, that were running the financial operation. So, you know, there are a lot of unknowns remaining at this point, but I think it's it's safe to say that they're they're not financially challenged at present. And given the, I think, the glee that Iran is feeling right now with what's going on, it's very likely that they're going to continue to be uh, provided with ample funds. Sure. So... What was the U.S.'s immediate response to the 7th October in terms of new sanctions and other policy moves aimed at curtailing Hamas's funding? Sure. Um, on October 18th, uh, the U.S. got rolling uh, with some OFAC sanctions targeting, uh, again, the Hamas quote-unquote secret investment portfolio, OFAC blacklisted financial facilitators in Gaza, Sudan, Turkey, Algeria, and Qatar. Those entities targeted included a, a Qatar-based facilitator with close ties to Iran, uh, a key Hamas commander, and the Gaza-based crypto exchange called Bycash Money Transfer Company and uh, its operator. The following day, Treasury's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network used powers under Section 311 of the Patriot Act to designate cryptocurrency mixers, which listeners may know make virtual currency harder to trace by commingling users' assets and redistributing them, a primary money laundering concern. And by doing so, uh, once FinCEN's rule is finalized, crypto exchanges will be required to report to FinCEN information on transactions linked to mixing activity that occurred outside the United States. You know, so basically, the U.S. government has long been concerned about mixers. And, you know, some experts believe they don't have legitimate uses. Uh, others in the industry say they, they do protect privacy. Um, but, you know, through this action, FinCET is, is making clear that it takes the threat seriously and when announcing this 311 action, Treasury officials mentioned the threat posed by Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad, as well as North Korea. And I, I think really this 311 action is something that's been in the works for quite some time and was primarily a response to illicit activity involving North Korea, uh, cybercrime activity. Um, but uh, I, I think perhaps Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad were were mentioned because of the timeliness factor, and because there you know there has been some Hamas activity in the crypto space. 
Yeah. Why don't we talk about the crypto just for a second? I mean, as, as soon as the invasion or the attack was launched on the 7th, uh, people were starting to talk about crypto and its role in fundraising and terrorist financing for Hamas. But since then, uh, people have calmed down a little bit. And even though we've had this action under the Patriot Act from FinCEN and the sanction on Bycash, how much of a, a problem are we looking at in terms of crypto and, and Hamas? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think the answer is probably we don't know. Uh, we, we know it's an issue, and we know that both uh, the U.S. Department of Justice and Israeli authorities have seized some crypto assets uh, that they say were part of fundraising efforts by Hamas, uh, that it had made some social media posts directing potential donors to send money via crypto. So there's long been this sort of fear that crypto would somehow eventually be used by terrorists. And this example of Hamas uh, receiving, I believe it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, some sources reported tens of millions, which I'm not so sure about that figure. Um, but it, it did receive you know, a considerable amount of money. It doesn't take that much money to carry out some terrorist attack. So um, that, that's not a paltry sum in terms of the, the risk associated with it. But we really don't know is, is probably the short answer, the extent to which um, large sums of money are, are being transferred via crypto. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. And I think that people who have been keeping an eye on crypto and terrorist financing think that it could be more of an emerging threat in the future. Let's be clear, the Lazarus Group and the North Koreans, you wouldn't consider that terrorist financing. Maybe you would, but that's something that the, uh, that group has used very successfully. And I'm sure other groups around the world have taken note. Um, Another action the U.S. has taken is this really helpful um, list of red flags uh, it's released on Hamas money flows, and it's also set out its three-pronged approach. What, what do compliance officers need to know from those, up, those key updates? Sure. Well, I mean, these developments are incredibly important. And, you know, if, if I were to offer only one one tip regarding what has happened since the, the grisly attack on Israel by Hamas, uh, it would be that financial institutions would really want to look at these red flags that FinCEN put out there in its alert um, and ensure that they have controls in place uh, to detect this kind of activity and uh, the, you know, the adequate customer due diligence practices to to catch this stuff. I just mentioned a couple of them quickly. Uh, one of the indicators 
uh, might be a customer who conducts transactions that originate with, are directed to, or otherwise involve entities that are shell corporations, general trading companies, or other companies that have a nexus with Iran or Iran-supported terrorist groups such as Hezbollah and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Another activity highlighted by FinCEN is when a customer that's a charitable organization or nonprofit solicits donations uh, but does not appear to provide any charitable services or openly supports Hamas's terrorist activity or operations. Um, of course, this presupposes that a financial institution that's providing services to a charitable organization is going to be doing the due diligence necessary to understand what kind of charitable services are being provided and um, you know, keeping an eye out for any statements, social media or otherwise, by those charitable organizations of suggesting support for Hamas terrorist activity or operations. So definitely need to be aware um, when you have a potentially a very high-risk uh, customer, such as one of these organizations, especially in the region. And Vincent added that in some cases, these uh, organizations may post on social media platforms or encrypted messaging apps to solicit donations, including in virtual currency. Um, so these are things you know, financial institutions definitely need to be aware of. They need to be aware of all of the red flags, not just these these couple that I'm describing. So that's a document that is um, very necessary to review as soon as possible and to operationalize as soon as possible. Yeah, that's really interesting on the social media screening that they've been talking about. I mean, sometimes that's easier said than done. Um, even though when you look at social media, everything seems in your face, this might take some kind of networking and checking that goes above and beyond what's usual. So um, there's also the three-pronged approach. So what what's going on there? Sure, yeah. A uh, Deputy uh, Treasury Secretary, Wally Adeyemo, he gave a speech in which he outlined this approach and he said that additional OFAC sanctions are going to target new emerging shell companies, middlemen and facilitators with ties to Hamas, uh, which suggests that uh, OFAC is making this a priority. Um, you know, one thing worth mentioning is that OFAC has had its hands full, um, you know, with the situation in uh, Ukraine uh, and the Russia sanctions that have been incredibly complex and broad and, uh, you know, there are only so many uh, experts at OFAC working on those sanctions, North Korea sanctions, um, Iran sanctions. Um, there are so many locations around the world that uh, OFAC is active, you know, using intelligence derived from U.S. spy agencies and law enforcement agencies uh, to try and push out the most uh, meaningful sanctions possible. But OFAC is is clearly going to uh, add some focus to Hamas. He also noted that the U.S. is going to partner with its allies to increase in information sharing. And uh, the third prong was that Treasury will be working with stakeholders, such as financial institutions, uh, to ensure they're preventing Hamas money flows. Uh, obviously, they already began that process by FinCEN issuing those red flags uh, 
but he noted that Treasury is committed to engaging with banks and crypto firms uh, to ensure that um, they are informed and that they are taking uh, necessary steps to um, address these risks. And um, lastly, uh, this wasn't one of the prongs, but he mentioned that Treasury has created carve-outs aimed at permitting humanitarian aid to flow to Palestinians. Obviously, there's a lot of concern uh, given the destruction in Gaza um, and the fact that you know, Gaza is such an impoverished area, or already was such an impoverished area, uh, that there needs to be humanitarian aid flowing. Um, but of course, as we found uh, in Afghanistan and uh, elsewhere, when humanitarian aid flows, often a portion of that money ends up in the hands of the terrorist organizations that are in control of the territory. Um, so und- undoubtedly, um, as this humanitarian aid flows, there are going to be issues. Um, and I guess those will have to be addressed as they come up. But I don't think any expert would argue with uh, the fact that uh, some of that money is going to end up in the hands of Hamas. So obviously, no institution wants to be the one that, uh, for whatever reason, eventually gets called out as having uh, been involved in money flows that went to Hamas. So that's a, certainly a complication and uh, something worth noting. Yeah, that's something, like you said, has happened. I mean, it's sort of part of the game, right? You know that you're making a compromise, that some of the aid money is going to be basically taken in almost like a commission by either the regime that you've you're seeking to help and sanction at the same time, just like in Afghanistan. Um, I just wanted to say, or just add in that, um, Wally Adeyemo, you made this speech about um, more information sharing when he was over here in London the other week at the Royal United Services Institute here in London. And there really hasn't been much of a response to that yet. And there hasn't actually been much of a response um, in terms of sanctions and other kinds of uh, actions targeting Hamas terrorist financing from the uh, UK or EU. But am I right in thinking that we might be seeing even more action from the US coming up this week, Brett? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that has actually been been mentioned by Treasury officials that we we will be seeing more, uh, but I think everyone expected to see more. I, it's just a matter, I think, of deciding which intelligence we want to bring forward in the form of sanctions and uh, what intelligence, uh, for whatever reasons, perhaps to protect sources and methods uh, that is not being sort of made public by taking these OFAC actions. Um, but undoubtedly behind closed doors, you know, the U S is talking to its allies, um, trying to collect additional information and intelligence. And I'm sure the U S is, uh, receiving ample intelligence, uh, from Israel, uh, that perhaps was shared before, perhaps it wasn't, but I I think that information flow is probably going to be maxed out 
uh, for the foreseeable future, and we are going to see OFAC acting on some of it and um, exposing more of this uh, global finance network that Hamas relies on. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they say anything else about the secret uh, investment portfolio. Somehow I doubt it, but you never know. I mean, you mentioned earlier that Benjamin Netanyahu has essentially said that he's seeking to wipe out Hamas from from Gaza. But you mentioned that the U.S. government's already making provision for aid, some of which will trickle down, or not even just trickle, but will flow to Hamas. So what is Hamas financing? What going to look like after the war ends? I mean, they're going to be losing this big revenue stream from being able to tax and even extract protection money from businesses operating in in Gaza. They'll lose that, but it seems like there's also a lot of sympathy in the uh, Middle East, the Gulf region for Hamas that could benefit them. For example, uh, President Erdogan in Turkey has voiced support for Hamas and says it's not a terrorist organization. How might that kind of sympathy and the post-war landscape complicate uh, anti-terrorist financing and sanctions efforts. Yeah, so I, I think that is right. I think there is a uh, a lot of sympathy from from some nations, and um, you know, individuals uh, will undoubtedly be looking for ways to funnel money to Hamas, and I, I think that may create some. Um, some substantial risk for financial institutions. They're going to have to be aware of fundraising efforts, uh, any information that exists uh, that's out there publicly uh, when Hamas solicits donations and mentions specific uh, bank accounts or uh, crypto wallets uh, the funds should be sent to. Um, there's going to have to be a, a lot of care taken um, and probably a some money spent by financial institutions to avoid inadvertently funneling money to Hamas from some of these donors. Um, so it's it's going to be a challenge. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And as you mentioned, they're not going to have the income as sort of the government of the territory. But you know we've we've seen the de- devastation in Gaza. Portions of it leveled. So there's going to have to be money flowing in uh, for humanitarian reasons, uh, theoretically for reconstruction. Um, there's there's going to be money moving, and uh, financial institutions are are going to have to be as careful as they can possibly be about uh, avoiding any transfers to uh, entities that might be linked to Hamas. So it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So on top of this very complicated, even more complicated post-conflict uh, sanctions and anti-terrorist financing landscape, because obviously we're going to have some territories that will not be in- concerned about uh, enforcing some of this, and others will be, like the United States. 
you know, what are some of the key takeaways for compliance officers and AML CFT officials who have been landed with this uh, predicament on top of uh, what's been going on with uh, Russia and Ukraine? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the takeaways are, uh, in some ways, the, the the same takeaways they might have of with regard to to cybercrime or other activities, and it's really pay attention to these uh, measures that are coming out of Treasury, and when you get red flags like the ones FinCEN has already released uh, in the wake of this terrorist attack, you really need to operationalize the red flags, which can be challenging. Um, But it's something that, uh, you know, entities are going to have to, to change some of their customer due diligence practices, and they're going to have to put in extra work to identify uh, entities that might be linked to the entities that are being sanctioned. It's going to be a busy time, um, as if sanctions compliance officers didn't have enough concerns uh, or AML officers. Um, uh, they now have this Hamas issue to deal with and paying close attention to alerts issued by Treasury and FinCEN specifically and operationalizing those, I think, are is really the area financial institutions need to be focused on right now. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Brett. And I, I would add that if UK and EU compliance officers and sanctions, AML, CFT staff haven't looked at what the US has published so far, they should. The UK Financial Conduct Authority found widespread weaknesses in a handful in the handful of firms' sanction screening capabilities it tested earlier this year and late last year. That was looking at Russian entities and individuals for the most part, and firms' ability to ID suspicious transactions and generate alerts um, based on the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementations list. Now, like we keep saying, the landscape's gotten much more complicated. The Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation here in the UK hasn't added any Hamas-related sanctions since October 7th. But in the UK, Hamas is a prescribed terrorist group, and therefore uh, individuals and entities related to it. And there aren't that many on the government list, but they are subject to asset freezes. So that's something to double check. And I would also just remind listeners about the extraterritorial nature of US sanctions enforcement actions. You don't want to be caught in that gap. I would definitely be checking. Um, once again, thanks to Brett for talking us through the finer points of the US uh, response to Hamas terrorist financing. We'll have links to Brett's uh, extensive coverage in the show notes, which includes links to the red flags he mentioned. Thank you for having me, Rachel. That's it for this week's Compliance Clarified. Your feedback is important to us. Please give us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice or get in touch directly. Our contact details are in the show notes. 
For more information about regulatory intelligence, please search for Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence or check the show notes for a link. Goodbye. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.